Coming up on the Front Page Football Podcast, the Melbourne City that we've been getting used to seeing over the last few years are back. MacArthur looks like travel demands are starting to catch up with them, while Mariners continue their really, really cool turnaround. But before all of that, the APL have made a change to how the ladder will look this season in terms of the tiebreakers if two teams finish on equal points. All of that and a lot more right after this. Welcome back to the Front Page Football Podcast, the flagship podcast on this network. I am Cody Ojeda. I am back on hosting duties and a happy new year to you all. I do have two guests with me, Jake, Caden, two of our finest Melbourne contributors. I think our only Melbourne contributors. Joke, joke, sorry, Deck. We do have one more down there. But how are you both doing? How did you both ring in the new year? Yeah, good. I was... I was actually ill for New Year's Eve, so it's not a great one for me. But oh, that's harsh. Other than that, other than that, there was a good weekend of A League football, which I was able to watch. That's good. That's good. So it's good to, well, considering you're coming on today, it's good to make sure we know what's going on. Jake, what about you? Do you up to much? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Um, down at the beach at the moment. So yeah. So if anyone listening, I might be a bit laggy. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm hoping it'll be all good. So yeah, but I've had a good time sort of spent time with my family down at the beach, especially, you know, my grandfather, who also loves A-League. So he's the only other person I know that actually like watches A-League. So I've been able to watch all the games. So it's been really good. Good fun. I uh, had some great games. So yeah, you know, ready to chat about it. You know, you mean you didn't uh, force feed the A-League to everyone else that you're staying with? Look, they let, let's just say I tried and 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 they and they vomited. Let's say that oh, your, your metaphor. Losers, losers, a lot of them. Sorry, Jake. I know that's your lovely family and friends, but that, that's that's uh, what I'm going with to. right now. That's <laughs> <laughs> all right. Look, not every bit of, bit of footballs for everyone. We're here because we enjoy it, and we make this content for those that do enjoy it alongside with us. Anyway, we'll get into. I was going to start with the games. But there's been a bit of news that's come across the A-League sphere that I think we should probably address at the very least quickly first. The A-League ladder looks like there's been changes to it that not anyone's, I don't think anyone in the media has been made aware of, fans haven't been made aware of. And after my discussions today on the day of recording with Marco Rudin and Emile Stajowski, coaches, players, and I think even club staff haven't been made aware of it. So what's happened is, tiebreakers for the A-League ladder. Obviously, the ladder is determined by the amount of points a team accumulates over a season. The first tiebreaker is traditionally goal difference. Head-to-head is another common one, but the A-League is going down the path of wins. That will be who what decides which team comes above another. Now, personally, I don't really care about how they decide the tiebreaker. My frustration with this is the fact that we are what, 10 rounds into the league this season, and this is the first anyone's hearing of it. So, look, I'll start with you, Caden. When did you actually hear about this, and what did you make of it? I'll ask you the same question I asked Mila and Marco. Uh, I heard about it this morning on Twitter. Someone, Justin Tickner um, of Griddle of Griddle fame, uh, tweeted. Griddle extraordinaire. Yeah, Griddle extraordinaire tweeted there. And, um, yeah, and I don't know what to think of it at this point. It's just 
seems totally inept and amateur of evaluators do this, one, to do it at all, and two, to do it without telling anyone, not even their own media team, not even the actual clubs, the coaches, nothing. I just, it's just shocking like how this is all unfolded. But unfortunately, as we've seen over the last year with the APL decision on the grand final, these there's not a lot of very smart decisions being made uh, at the head office there. So, um, yeah, I just don't know what to think of it, really, and whether it will change. I don't think they're going to change it back this season. As I said on Twitter, it could open them up to potential litigation if a team somehow did finish where they would qualify for finals on wins but not on goal difference. So... I don't think it's going to change back this season, but hopefully next season they go back to goal difference because I don't see any reason why it needed to be changed. But, yeah. I think that's probably the one thing that does bug me about this. It wasn't a broken system, so I don't see the need to really fix it. Same thing with the grand final decision, as you alluded to. You're trying to fix something or make something better that doesn't really need to be touched. I wasn't keeping track of time, but we're roughly four to five minutes in this podcast. And Caden, you've already ripped the APL to shreds. So I don't know if that's a record somewhere around Australia that anyone's done it quicker, but you know what? Well done. I don't I'm know sure if that's a good I, thing. Or, I'm sure Antonis has done it quicker <laughs> on the previous episode, but... Nah. Antonis we'll loves about. the APL and all the decisions they make, all, the, all their brilliant ideas. <laughs> <laughs> oh, look, we'll move on to you, Jake. Obviously, look, Caden, the way he's talking about it, he doesn't sound like he's a fan of wins being the main tiebreaker instead of goal difference. I'm personally, look, I don't really care tiebreaker's a tiebreaker. That's my opinion. But would you have been more receptive, receptive to this news so, if sorry. it was said at the start of the season, Jake? Oh, I think certainly. I, I, I think, yeah, the fact that has almost just been halfway through the season just sprung upon us all, like, uh, actually, we're changing it now. It's like, whoa, okay. Like, it's just it's just very unexpected, I guess, in that sense. Um, I Yeah, I'm probably sort of similar to you, Cody. I, I'm not necess- I don't necessarily mind it. Like, at the end of the day, like, these things, you know, it's, it's not necessarily rare that it comes to this, but it's, you know, it, it's, it's not going to be something that, really defines i guess sort of a season but well, obviously you could potentially you know you never know and i think that's the theme of this where it's like you know we've seen it now i guess with victory who you know were top and now they're not you know like no one know that like you know the coaches no one like only the person who wrote those things and that guy i think i think it was a wellington fan on twitter that just sort of was just scrolling through the league rules and just found it and that's the only reason people found it. It's unbelievable. Like, I've never seen anything like this. So, just, just quietly yeah. there, too, because if he wasn't... Because that was on New Year's Eve as well. If he wasn't that bored to the point where he wanted to scroll through the rules and regulations of the A-League men's and the A-League women's on the night, on one the one night of the year where everyone's usually out celebrating and come across that very minor detail that other people probably would have just assumed is a typo and gone tweeted about it as well, None of us would be having this conversation because none of us would know until the end of the season came. And as Caden, you mentioned as well, the APL's media team didn't know about this. They've been posting the ladder in goal difference order, or at least that's the first tiebreaker. No one would have known about this. The league would have finished. We would have crowned a champion. If there was two teams at the top of the table equal on points, the team with a goal difference probably would have been at least on social media crowned as champions. And a lot of questions have been asked when the other team was given the trophy. 
That's it's such a crazy ordeal. I don't. There's a lot of words and thoughts that I think people can kind of put to this. It's a really, really weird situation. Caden, I'll go back to you because I'm, you, you did say as well, you're not a fan of the new system. I guess kind of talk to us a little bit more about that. Why? And obviously you said you don't see this being changed this season, but is there any, what do you want to see from the APL, even um, if it's tomorrow before this episode comes out as a way of saying, hey, look, this is what's going on, basically. Well, it's not that I prefer the, I don't, I'm like you guys, I don't care either way really but i just think it's just been a total failure of like why announce it like why not announce it like before a season it just makes no sense like if it's like it's almost like they expected blowback on it sort of after and now after the apl the grand final decision they're now hesitant to announce any changes they make in lately because they don't want to face that blowback and potentially cause another Melbourne Derby riot situation. Like, is that, I wonder if that's like their, their thinking of Vegas said, all right, let's do this quietly. You so, think they've kept this quiet out of fear? Yeah, something like, um, potentially, like, that's just a, like an idea, but I'm not sure if they've done that for sure. But like, I wonder if they're hesitant to make these big decisions now and in the future, how, could that affect the A-League in different other methods of whatever changes they want to make? And could it see them potentially not make changes that could be good for the league? It's it's really interesting, actually, and speaks to a much larger issue that's been created in Australian football where now that, you, that fear could genuinely be a factor in how they move forward. They have made this decision, but they're right now it's affecting how they communicate it. Do we get to a point where it affects them making decisions altogether. And if it affects something that could be positive for the league, that's, that could be even more disastrous, really. It's going to be an interesting few years how the APL kind of moved for, forward from that grand final debacle. And even with that decision overturned, we are still seeing the follow-on effects from it. It's really, really interesting. But I think, I guess, one thing we need from the APL now is probably a bit of strong leadership. Let's get into the games that happened in the last round. I think that's enough discussion on that point we are bringing back our three major talking points from the week gone by Caden. i'm going to start with you three major points that you saw across the weekend go so my first one was after seeing mum victory beat adelaide this weekend i think that the victory side they're going to be fine and they're going to keep their good game, good performances going with without bruno Fornaroli while is at the asian cup and then my second point is that I think Western United just need to consider the season a write-off and just focus on developing the young talent they have on their books. And then thirdly, I think Tolgay Arslan at Melbourne City is the best foreign signing since Bursart Barisha. And yeah, they're my three points. I love that. Very Melbourne-centric. Some very, very good points in there. Jake, what have you got for us? Yeah, unfortunately, it's, it is also relatively Melbourne based. Um, I'm, I'm, I promise you. This is what happens when I bring the two Melbourne boys on. Bloody no, hell. It was, look, look, uh, when you get the points, it's so the first one is Melbourne City. Like, I think you can't not sort of mention them. Yeah, 8 1 over the Raw. Yes, you know, the Raw are in a bit of sort of strife at the moment. You know, they had a new coach come in. Um, and yeah, in general, they're probably not in the best form, but it was, it was a very promising performance from Melbourne City. I guess I'm sort of wondering, you know, that's now five games unbeaten. Three, three wins and two draws in their last five. I think 
uh, under Aurelio Vidmar, I think they're starting to look like they're sort of building again. So it'll be interesting to see sort of further on, you know, how they'll go. Um, then it's on victory, I think, with their performance against Adelaide, a very good win. But I think, yeah, I think the question still does beg, how are they going to fare without Bruno Fornaroli um, over this month or so? You know, I, th- I think, you know, we'll probably talk a little bit later, but, you know, Zinni Machash, you know, maybe he moves into that role. But I think it's going to be very interesting to see how they're going to fare without Bruno because, again, he just proves sort of how bloody good he is. Um, and then the Mariners, I think, you know, they went from a 0-4 and four start of the season and they've already, you know, sort of found themselves back in that top six. And I think, you know, a lot of credit has to go on to Mark Jackson. I think he's really sort of um, found his way with this team. He's, he's found sort of how he can fit all these tools together. But again, we have a, another interesting departure. This one's permanent in Marco Tullio. That's going to be very interesting to see how, they, how he's going to sort of, you know, fit um, someone else into that sort of role. We've seen, you know, Josh Nisbet probably move into that sort of central attacking role, um, or central attacking midfield role, um, which has been good. But yeah, it'll be interesting to see how they do that. Yeah, Mariners back in the six, equal points with Brisbane, but equal on wins as well. So we do end up going to goal difference. Anyway, not to bring that conversation up again. I've got three points as well. First one will be MacArthur. Looks like their troubles are slowly catching up to them, and that does beg a little bit of a concern because they do have a lot of games coming up now in a short amount of time, which considering they do look a little bit lethargic, as much as it's not bad, not lazy, they just look very, very tired. A few cramps coming out of today's game. And Mila Stajowski did say to me after the game that Matt Miller looks like he's picked up an injury now and they're not sure what the timeline is for that. So that will be interesting to see how that plays out. Uh, I've got uh, Ufuk Tale. His Sydney side is starting to slowly build. There's two wins on the bounce now. A few games away, but it'll be interesting to see how they handle that period considering their next game will be against Brisbane Raw, who have just announced Ben Khan as their coach, which we'll get into a little bit later. And I've got a similar point to you, Caden, as well, where you said Tolgay Arslan is the best foreign signing since Berisha. I've just written Arslan and kind of left it there because I think that kind of says enough. That guy is genuinely magical. And speaking of him, we're going to get into that game now. Melbourne City, Brisbane Raw, 8-1. I watched most of that second half with my jaw banged against the desk in my study, where I am now, because I was... Half shocked at what I've seen in front of me. We've seen some thumpings in the A-League, but that was a genuine calamitous effort from Brisbane Raw when they really needed a side to step up and show, hey, it doesn't matter what's going on with Aloise. It doesn't matter what our coach is going. We've still played good football this season and we can still play good football moving forward. We got the complete opposite. And it's hard to say whether Brisbane were really, really bad or Melbourne City were really, really good. My guess is that it's sitting somewhere in the middle, but uh, I believe, Jake, it was your point where you said Melbourne City look like things are starting to come to come together under uh, Vidmar. Talk to us about that. He's coming to the side. It was a bit of a slow burn. He did have that win against Sydney FC to start off with, but we hadn't really seen that Melbourne City that we're used to, the ones like beautiful attacking football, very slick, very dominant. But we got that on Thursday night, didn't we? Yeah, it was yeah very reminiscent of the MacArthur uh, game last season. I think they beat them six one or something like that. Or like where which is you just you just see City just flowing. It was beautiful to watch, especially on the counter attack. Yeah, with Brisbane, they sort of played like that. They just refused to stop attacking. If that makes any sense, they kept going forward. They kept playing that high line, which probably was their downfall at the end of the day. It, it prevented a lot of space in behind for the likes of Leonatel. He's someone I've. You know, maybe had not had the strongest start to the season, but he's someone that's really, really grown. I remember Aurelio Vedmar sort of asked about him and he said, you know, like he was looking good, 
but I think you can take it to that next level. And I think we're starting to see that week in, week out now. So that's very exciting to, you know, for City fans. And I just think in general, I sort of wrote an article sort of on some of the tweaks that uh, Vidmar has made and we've continued to see it, especially with Hamza Saki. But I think it's been really, really pivotal, that sort of change, moving him as more of a number six. That's sort of allowed, for example, the likes of Tolgay Arslan to venture more forward and just show, you know, like how bloody good he is. Like, I think people forget, like, this guy's consistently played in the Serie A for the past however many seasons now. Like, he plays at a very, he played at a very, very good level. And we're going to have him for the next two seasons. So just enjoy it while we have him because he is just such a elegant player to watch. You know, he's, I think he's uh, one of the highest dribblers completed, chance creation. He's got everything to his game. He's uh, very, very good to watch. So, yeah, I, I think it's really interesting to see um, sort of how they're going to continue on now. Obviously, now they have no Asian Champions League, which is disappointing in a way. I would have liked to see him go further there, but it means, you know, they can solely focus on the league now. So, It'll be interesting to see, you know, how far they can push up the league because at this point, I really think, yeah, they can push back in, which is almost unthinkable, you know, considering the start of the season. I think everyone was like, geez, are they actually going to miss out on the finals? But, you know, Vidmar has done very, very well to sort of steady the ship there. So, fair play to him. Well, they're back in fourth, considering where they were at the start of the season. If you think back to that Adelaide game where they got smacked 6-0, I don't know. I think people were expecting them to kind of find their way back into the six, especially getting rid of Radul Vitasic so quickly and trying to make that change and salvage their season even after two rounds. But to kind of turn things around that quickly, it does speak to your point, Jake, really. They do like things are slowly coming together. They're back in and amongst those top teams. They are three points off the next team ahead of them. So a little bit of work to do there to actually catch that up. But they do play the Wanderers very, very soon, even if it isn't their next game that they play. So there's an opportunity there to even by the halfway point of the season, actually work your way back to, I guess, where Melbourne City feel they do belong, I guess, in a way. Caden, I don't know if you were at this game. I'm sure you would have caught it, though. What did you make of Melbourne City? Yeah, I was at this game. And, um, yeah, they look like, just following on from what Jake said, they look really good. Uh, Tolgay has been playing the start of the season with a toe injury, which has probably affected his play. Um, but he's now... Uh, 100% heal from that, according to Vidmar. So I think now we're going to start seeing Melbourne City pick up a lot of wins. And um, same with Leo Natal. He previously had a, a leg injury and he had not played football for 12 months prior to this season. So he was way off match fitness and um, probably only started a lot of the start of the season because of Matt Leckie and Anko Naboo's injury. So to see him start to hit form is really good um, to see. But, yeah, on Arsland, just definitely he's just so silky on the ball. It, it beats defenders easily. His passes are inch-perfect all the time. And I think for McLaren, who's been struggling prior to this game, now that Arsland's vision is starting to get back into 100%, we're going to see McLaren put on a bit of a challenge for Bruno Fornaroli in the Golden Boot race, I think, as the season progresses. It's interesting actually to talk about McLaren's influence on the game. Melbourne, Vic- Melbourne Victory, Melbourne City had 24 shots in this match. I think there was only three that ended up being outside the box and a couple of them ended up actually going in as well. It shows just how dominant and how easy it was for them to get into that final third into the 18-yard box as well. And we all know McLaren is probably the most dangerous player in A-League history 
in that space. I think someone even put up a graphic trying to take the piss out of him where they showed his 21 goals this season and was saying that they were all in the box. That just shows his strength and shows where his ability lies. I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. If Melbourne City are in a position where they can work to his strengths, which for the past four years, let's be real, they've done so, it's only a positive for him. It's only a positive for McLaren. He's probably one of the best finishers we've seen almost in Australia, just natural poacher type player. It's a very, very hard skill to do. So as much as people may knock him for him, that he doesn't add a lot more to a team style or doesn't have a lot more to his game than simply being able to finish off chances, it's not something to knock. And you mentioned someone like Torge Arslan. I didn't realize he was carrying an injury at the start of the season. He was still even at the start of the season playing fantastic. So if he was doing that while he was injured, he's only coming into full fitness now. That game on Thursday night, he was fantastic. I don't think you can really underestimate his influence on that match. I went back and watched the highlights just to try and see different things from Melbourne City. You know, that is typical driving runs forward, uh, good final third passing. Every good thing that came out of Melbourne City that game went through him. And there was a lot of good things that Melbourne City did on that football pitch. And then on top of that, just the flair and excitement that he can add to a game too. It's an absolute delight to watch. And I'm going to go back to you, Caden, because you're the one that's made this bold claim that he's the best foreigner that we've seen since Barisha. That's a big call considering Barisha did it in the A-League for a very, very long time. I think it depends what you want to see from someone that's going to have that title as well. Is it someone that do you take longevity into it as well? Or are you talking simply natural ability? Because then you do add players like Adrian Mijewski, Lero George to that conversation too. But talk to me a little bit about that point where you believe that Tolga Arslan is the best foreigner we've seen since Barisha. Well, yeah, I think mainly I was just saying just on a skill, but on skill level. So if he, if he does stay in Ali for, so let's say, I'm another, he's 33 now, so maybe another three years after this, I think he could be, could give Borussia a run for his money. It's like the best ever all-time uh, A-League import. But, yeah, I just think it, just his skill is just so good. And those other names you mentioned, I don't think, I think Arsene is just better. I just think he's better. And I think he's, I think him playing in City's system is just going to demonstrate that. And he's going to, have a lot of assists come the time end of the season. Yeah, honestly, the amount of things we talk about Jamie McLaren, where he has one really, really good aspect to his game and he's able to lean into it. Mm. We've seen a lot from Arsenal. His first touch is brilliant. His passing range is brilliant. Uh, even just that little bit of flair. He's a good dribbler as well. He's showing he can finish chances too. He's genuinely the ultimate 10 that you can have in the A-League. And Jake, you said it as well. This guy, this is a player that spent a lot of time playing at some of the highest levels and some of the best football leagues in the world too. I don't know if he's played in Champions League, but I know he did. Yeah, play he for... played. He played. He scored in that penalty shootout against Liverpool a few years back. Oh, bloody he hell! There you go. Yeah, so he's, so... he's played at a. He's played in some very very big games. He's played at some very high levels. So I believe his last club was Udinese. You're not yeah. talking about a scrub here or anything. You're talking about a genuine baller that we get to enjoy week in week out, Jake. I want your opinion on this as well. Where would he... I know it's only been 10 games that we've seen of him, but let's just say he is able to stay here for two years and he just builds and builds and builds and City continue to dominate the trophy cabinet that's on offer in this country. Where does his legacy lie after that? 
I hate doing this because I swear every single time, like, I make a bold claim, like, yeah, he's going to be here. You know, he has a couple of tough weeks or something like that. But let's hope he doesn't. But I, I really think he's going to be up there. Like, seriously, this guy is unbelievable. And, yeah, if, if you know, City can continue to build, yeah, I, I don't see why they can't, you know, win trophies. Yeah, like, simply, I think they have the best squad in the league. Um, you know, maybe not depth-wise, but I think solely starting 11-wise, I, I probably think they are the best in the league. So I don't see why, yeah, they can't, you know, compete for you know, trophies in these, you know, at least next two seasons where we should have him. And then potentially, you know, he'll extend, which I think every A-League fan realistically is hoping because um, he's just a joy to watch. Well, it sounds like he's got family in Australia as well, I believe I heard when he first signed for the club. So maybe yeah. he is looking to settle down his career. Maybe we are going to get to see him see out his career. So I guess it's just a matter of how long he has in him, how long he wants to play for. But I don't see him packing up and going to Japan or packing up and going to China or even packing up and going back to Europe. I think he is genuinely someone that is here to stay. And you know what? It's a blessing because even after he retires, he can pass his knowledge, anything that he's done in his career, he can pass it on to the next generation. That's why you want to bring foreigners foreigners in as well. You want players that can have an impact off the pitch. And I think that he's someone that is primed to do that. We'll have a quick chat about Brisbane because as much as City were good in that game, Brisbane were a little bit poor, to put it nicely. There is one aspect I think we've got to talk about in their favour, Ryan Bramley getting his first A-League goal, someone that Ross Aloisi, unfortunately he's not at the club anymore, got a very, very good gig in China. But he did mention to me after they beat Sydney United that Ryan Bramley was someone they brought into the club, would have loved to have actually played in the Australia Cup, but by then he was cup-tied already um, because he represented his previous club in the Australia Cup in the qualifying rounds. So... We weren't able to see him then. We weren't able to see him introduced at the same time as Quinn McNichol and Thomas Waddingham, which is why it's probably a bit of a late bloomer in terms of the general perception size. But Brisbane's been kind of holding onto this kid as almost like a secret weapon for so long. So there is a positive to come out of that game, seeing him get his first A-League goal. But other than that, it's it's a very, very bad night for Brisbane. And it's almost like the opposite of a new manager bounce. We're talking about how crazy that can be when a Futale smacked Adelaide 5-0 with, in his first game for Sydney FC, or with Sydney FC, sorry. We've seen Luciano Trani come in. Already, um, Brisbane have made sure that it's, they've secured a full-time head coach because that game was that disastrous. They sped up their international worldwide search, I believe you guys are calling it, and they've ended up with Ben Khan. So, look, I'll start with you, Caden. Brisbane Raw, there wasn't much to go in that game, but do you see Ben Khan coming in and, being able to fix a lot of things short term? Uh, maybe not short term, but I think long term, yes. Uh, he has done really good things in NPL Victoria. Um, he was coach of Melbourne Knights last season, if I'm not mistaken. Um, got them to the semis in the Australia got, Cup too. Yeah, got them semis in the Australia Cup and he did well with them in the league as well. And um, from people I've spoken to who know him, they all rates him really highly as a really good footballing mind in this country. So I think, I mean, he is committed to playing young players as well, which is something that the new CEO, Kaz Patafta, has stated that they want to turn Brisbane into a club. They want to make that part of their identity, playing Queensland-based youth. So I think he'll do really good things there. Um, but, But for this season, though, it remains to be seen, but I think long term, I think you'll get Brisbane playing some good stuff and hopefully we all get to see it. 
Well, Kaz and Zach have both kind of emphasised that point about wanting to bring out Queensland talent. There's probably no one that understands the landscape over there better than Ben Khan as well in terms of being able to bring those young players to the club and provide them a platform to get into first-team A-League football. I think his biggest success story, he was one of the youth coaches at Mariners when a lot of their young players now coming through and someone that he was able to identify in the Queensland system that he brought over to the Mariners to make sure the kid got an A-League gig was Josh Nisbet, someone who a lot of people probably had overlooked just based on how he looks, but genuinely has the talent to be one of the best players in, in the A-League. So if he is going to add that to Brisbane Roar and bring in a plethora of players and be the guy that's in charge of their development at an A-League level, obviously, look, short-term is definitely going to be a tough ask considering what's just happened in the last game. I don't know if you want to read into it too much. It's still not the best position to be in, I guess, and I don't think Brisbane Royal fans are going to be overly happy still moving forward. You lose a coach that's playing great football, your first game without him, you lose 8-1. It's going to take a while before faith is restored, in my opinion, but you have a coach like him that understands the vision of the club and understands the landscape that they're trying to build it from. There's definitely something there that you can be at least hopeful for. Jake, do you have anything to add on Brisbane Royal? Yeah, I, I think, yeah, like Ben Khan, big fan of him. I think he, maybe long-term, I think can really click turn some of the luck around for Brisbane Raw. Obviously, you know, we, ha- we haven't seen him in A-League yet, but, you know, sort of all the signs are leading up to it are looking quite good. But I would say, yeah, as, as a, you know, for Brisbane Raw fans, I probably wouldn't expect anything immediate. You know, I think looking realistically at the squad at the moment, it's probably on the lower end of teams. And, you know, Brisbane at the moment still are in that sort of fight for um, a top six spot. So it'll be interesting to see sort of, can he sort of make them a team that can compete there? Because I think if he can do that, that'd be quite successful, to be honest. I, I think if you're looking, I think especially the problems at the moment with Brisbane are defensively, with the way they want to play, with how attacking they've been playing. Um, it, it leaves the likes of Tom Aldred, for example, who I think is a really, really good defender. However, I don't think he is someone that plays in that sort of high-pressing system. I don't think he's, he's got the legs for it. I don't think he's the best on the ball. However, you know, we've seen him previous years. He's looking really, really good in a lower block system. So it'll be interesting to see sort of long-term, I think, you know, using um, or bringing in players that sort of fit that play style. Because, yeah, I, I think it will take a while to build, but I am really interested to sort of see how this Brisbane Raw, I guess, project, shall we call it, uh, you know, will develop over the next couple of years. I'll just also say that um, Brisbane Raw also do have a few injuries in their defence at the moment, which probably didn't help in this game. They're losing Burke Gilroy and Scott Neville. So, um yeah, I think that could be a reason why they suffered so much in that loss as well. We'll move on. Sydney FC, Wellington Phoenix, Talley getting one over his former club. I don't know what to think about Sydney FC right now because they have been a bit up and down since he started. They have, they do look like they're starting to slowly steady the ship. They have two wins, albeit at home. I don't know if that's something that you want to read into too much, but... Under Talley, I don't think you can say the football's been bad. There's definitely been a shift in identity as much as the formation's gone back to one that Sydney FC fans were hoping they would eventually move away from. It feels like Talley's still getting the best out of it, and now he's starting to get wins on the board. So I think the question is, is he going to? are they going to be consistent enough to work their way back into finals contention in the top six? But at least personally, I do like what I'm seeing from them at the moment. Jake, I'll go to you. What did you make of that game? What do you make of Sydney FC right now? Yeah, I think the thing I really took away from it was we've seen Wellington Phoenix so far. They, a potential question we've sort of, I think Christian especially has sort of had this sort of 
thing where it's like, I'm not sold them yet in terms of their ball playing, playing out of the press. And I think Sydney did it very, very well. They pressed extremely well, very relentless, and it led to a lot of errors, uh, you know, given you know, mistakes, and they pounced on them simply enough. Uh, Wellington really struggled to play out of that press and you know, you know, progress the ball, create chances, et cetera, which is what they've done all season. They, they, they played deep, they've sat deep, been able to you know, sort of play through presses and get through. Um, they weren't able to do this today, so I think you know, maybe that was because Talle sort of has that knowledge of Wellington, even though they are playing a new style, I, I honestly just think he coached them all, um, you know, for the game, um, set them up really well. Um, yeah, and like even Alex Paulson, for example, I noticed a couple of times he had a couple of shaky moments, which we haven't seen before. So I think that was really interesting as well, because every single time he's been ice cold, he's sort of been able to, you know, get away with, you know, sort of, um, you know, letting a player come to him. But a couple of times, so I think that's, it's going to be interesting to see if other A-League teams now are going to you know, maybe almost study this game, be like, okay, this is how to potentially stop Wellington Phoenix and how to press them. So I, I thought that was a re- really key t- takeaway. And yeah, just in general, I, I have, you know, like I guess you could say Tale is someone that has come through with that sort of, you know, he's come through Sydney. Um, he, yeah, it's still that sort of same lingering old mentality. However, I think he's brought some new things to the table. But yeah, the question will be, you know, can they make finals? Because, yeah, right now, you know, was it two points clear? Obviously, the league run is extremely close. You know, anyone could make at this point. But, yeah, they're, they're sat at 10th, you know, ultimately. So, they're yeah, ninth at the moment, actually, once the new rules um updated. Oh, I completely forgot that, actually. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to take me so long to get over this. Like, oh, my God. Uh, I, yeah, I, we could hop on it all day. But, but yeah, I don't know. I, I personally, uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm relatively optimistic for Sydney. I think they're, you know, well, to be fair, you know, anything compared to their start of the season would be an improvement, of course, you know, because they lost every game. But yeah, I don't know. I've, I'm sort of interested to see what you guys think, but that was probably my key takeaway. Caden, I'll throw it over to you. And one point Jake did make, Talley obviously being a former Wellington Phoenix coach, as much as Phoenix are playing a different style, a little bit of a different identity under Italiano, Atale is not someone that was just working through the Phoenix system and understands the players very well, but he's worked with Italiano for a very long time would understand his train of thinking. Is this maybe not a result you want to overreact to simply because it could have just come from the fact that Talley does have a lot of inside information at his hand and that's probably half the reason why Sydney were able to get a result out of this game or is this just genuinely a good performance regardless of any of those factors? No, I think this is just a good performance regardless of their, their pass together. I think they pressed extremely well off the ball. It was like like watching... RB Leipzig when Ralph Rangnick was their coach. They were just, as soon as any bad touch, they were all over it and won the ball back really high and just couldn't, Wellington couldn't even get out of their final third, let alone their half. Um, for a um, majority of that first half. Um, but yeah, um, I'm just kind of pretty shocked at the turnaround they've had so quickly because. I actually wrote an article recently about Sydney and I thought they might be a bit mediocre this season. Um, and I said that Ryan Grant and Fabio don't look like they're working out this season and they both scored. So that just shows what I know. But um, but, um, but yeah, no, other than that, I think it was a good performance from, from Sydney. Uh, but what I did like from Wellington is their commitment to playing their style, playing out from the back no matter what. I think that's going to be, I think that's a good method to take when you've got such a young squad to really drill 
drill in, drill into them and uh, give them experience of playing against a high pressing team like that. Because in the A League, not a lot of teams press like that. Like it's really rare to see a, such a high press pull up, be pulled off so well. So I think that's going to be a good experience for Wellington, and hopefully they learned a lot from it because they're a team that I've been enjoying watching this season. And I'll give a quick shout-out to Ben Old, who was, despite the loss, he was phenomenal in that game. He looked really good in the midfield, so I think he's one to look out for in the future. Ben Old apparently was a good golfer back in the day, but that's something I've only heard very, very briefly. No, it's interesting you make that point about Wellington, where that commitment to trying to play out from the back, despite Sydney being able to press so well. It's something of that if these players go overseas, they are probably going to have to deal with. And that was going to be my question regarding Wellington. I'm going to put it to both of you. I'll go to you, Jake, first, because Caden's kind of alluded to his thoughts on it, although, Caden, I'll get your opinion outright on this in a minute. But, Jake, do you think it was right that Wellington persisted with that press? Because it's been a bit divisive. I've seen some people say... Why would they keep doing that? The reality is, on one hand, it's about the development. On the other hand, it's about purely trying to get something out of that game. The way they were playing, it didn't look. It looked like they genuinely needed to kind of change something. But do you think, at least from a developmental point of view, this was the right, I guess, method to take in terms of these players developing as footballers and helping them in the long run? Yeah, that opens up a whole yeah sort of big debate in terms of your know, pragmatism versus the idealism in that sense in terms of how. You want to develop your team. Um, from what I've heard, obviously, we've seen Wellington this season really develop that sort of low block system. That's what they've been known for defensively. However, you know, I've heard that Italiano is someone that really wants to, yeah, like play really, really good football, play out of the back, be a controlling team. And I guess this is sort of a way he's trying to implement this, you know, like that, almost that first step, playing out of the back. So I, I, I do appreciate it. And I think they're going to continue to improve. However, I would say maybe some of the personnel he has at the moment maybe isn't the most suiting to that, um, especially the midfield. I think looking at you know, the players, I think they're all good. I think we've always said that they're good workhorses. You know, the Roofer, Pennington, Altay, obviously Ben Old is someone that's sort of implemented a bit more attacking mindset uh, in that in that sense, which has been really, really good. But by the way, Kate, I completely forgot to like comment that. He was unbelievable. So I'm really excited to see him continue to play this season. But I think just for the, for the rest of the squad, um, it will be interesting to see uh, yeah, but like, like, will they try to persist with these players or are they going to look to bring new players in? And I guess the only way to test that is trying to play the way you want to play. So, look, maybe or maybe not that sort of cost Wellington the result by really trying to persist with that. However, I guess at the end of the day, it is long run. You know, Italiano himself has said he didn't even really expect this team to, you know, compete, um, you know, right at the top of the, of the league this season. So I think, yeah, it, it, I don't think that was necessarily an expectation. So he's like, all right, you know what? We're doing well. But we want to play the way we want to play, you know, whether we're getting results or not, you know, I'm not too worried about that in the short term. And they have been getting the results, you know, funnily enough. So, yeah, so I, 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 I totally understand sort of what he's trying to do there. And, you know, maybe in the long run, you know, this could be, you know, a, a game like this could be a really, really good learning experience for that team. Kaden, you want to delve into your point a little bit deeper, deeper from before? Um. Yeah, I guess I think, like I said, I don't have much more to add on. I, I just... Uh... I think they should just stick to the way they're playing. Um, we've seen with Ange at Tottenham this season that sometimes it's beneficial just to keep playing to the system despite whatever happens, be it injuries or having multiple players sent off in a game, like in that Chelsea game. But um, 
I think I think it will pay dividends just in a developmental purpose. Um, players like Ben Old, I think, are going to um, benefit from that greatly. And yeah, I think there's also another player who will benefit from that is Alex Paulson. He did have that one mistake, which led to led to the second goal, I think it was. Um, but I think that's something he'll learn from. And as we've said in previous podcasts. He's definitely a young player who could get a European move soon. So I think the more time he gets to practice in playing out from the back, the better, because basically every club in Europe is playing this way. So he's he's got to be good at it. So I think that's going to benefit him greatly. Definitely very, very interesting. We'll move on to Newcastle and Western United. Now, Newcastle... Looking all right, I guess, still struggling to kind of get themselves up the ladder. But when they're on, you've got to admit, they are pretty bloody on. They can play some good football on their day. I think the question around them is just getting a bit of consistency. But Caden, you alluded to this before about Western United, where this season is basically a write-off for them and they should just focus on playing on the use. Um, Jake, you've brought it up before. The t- ladder is very, very tight at the moment. But even then, West United and I guess Perth as well are the ones that are really starting to fall behind. So, Kate, I know this is your point, but I'm going to go to Jake first on this. Is this season a write-off for West United at the moment? Oof, I, I, I wouldn't say yes yet. Um, I think, again, I've sort of just said it over and over. They have a good squad. Like it's it's really hard to entirely give up on this team because I I think they have a lot to offer. Someone like Daniel Penny himself, like like even when they are struggling, I think he's clearly showing signs of you know creativity, creating chances, and yeah, just making the side overall better. However, yeah, we haven't seen that consistently. You know, um, like I think a key issue has probably been you know supplied an old body, for example. We've seen him get, you know get a couple of chances in this game, but it's just. They're just not creating enough, um, simply enough. They're not scoring. And it's something, yeah, like something needs to be changed because we're seeing a week in, week out, they're just not creating enough chances to win games. Um, you know, Newcastle, for example, um, I don't know how many clean sheets they've kept this year. This is probably one of their first or second. Like not scoring on Newcastle, a team that's been very suspect defensive this season, is a bit of a red flag in itself. Um, but yeah, I, I've... I feel like I've sort of constantly repeated myself every single week on West United. Like I'm, I'm out of words. So maybe it is a write-off because nothing's changing. But yeah, I, I again, yeah, I, I think this team has a lot of good players. But I guess sort of alluding to sort of what maybe Ken's going to talk on later. They've also got a lot of good young players coming through. So yeah, maybe it's you know, give them a chance. You know, like I guess that's obviously writing off the season because you know all of these guys are good young players. Um, you know, Kane Mikmar, for example, started this game. I thought he did pretty well. See someone that probably still needs that sort of professional experience, but yeah, but you know, I'll let sort of Caden talk about some of the young guns there. But yeah, I don't know. It's 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 just not looking good at all for Western United right now. It's just, that's probably a safe comment to make. Um, just on that clean sheet point for Newcastle, they've kept three this season, three this season, including the one on the weekend. There was that three 0 win in Wellington, and the other one was actually against Western United. So you know what? Maybe you're onto something. That makes sense. <laughs> Look, it was Caden. Um, Caden, you did bring up the point about you want to see Western United kind of focus on these young players. Talk to me about the young players that you do want to see because we have seen kind of Kane Vidmar come through. Macromality has also kind of had an impact at the first team level this season. Who are the names that maybe, especially someone from New South Wales, that maybe isn't aware of 
some of these young players from West United just yet. Is there anyone that's on your radar that you don't think we've seen enough of yet? So, yeah, main, my main one I was thinking of really was Noah Bosic, who we've seen a bit of the season, but I still think he needs more time to develop. He's not scored as many goals as I would have liked. He's only got the one goal this season. But I think he's got a bright future ahead of him. He's a potential for a future soccer who's number nine share in the years to come when we lose the likes of Mitch Duke and Bruno Fornaroli and Jamie McLaren. Also, Kane Vidmars, someone I really rate pretty highly. I think he should be starting more often than Jacob Trout. I don't think, I'm going to be honest, I don't rate Jacob Trout that highly. Um, and I think Kane Vidmar is, it'd be a lot more beneficial for the club just to play him. And then I know Jake knows a bit more about the guys in the Western United kind of youth setup. So I'll, I'll throw back over to him for him to say a bit on those guys. I appreciate it, Caden. And uh, yeah, well, well, first one I'll probably touch on is someone that's, I guess, not from their youth, but he's still really young. I think people forget sort of how young he is. Michael Roos, uh, still only 21, I believe. So he's someone that's you know, you know, had a lot of experience with other clubs, um, maybe not given a consistent chance, but uh, for off the bench, for example, he was a really positive sort of outlet for West United. He has a lot of pace and power that he sort of brings to the attack. And even on other you know, areas of the field, Reese Bozanovsky, he's a young midfielder, a young sort of defensive minded midfielder there. He can contend for some of those spots there. They in attack. And we, uh, we saw uh, Oli Lavelle. You know, he was sort of one of the key stories of the Australia Cup. You know, he was, you know, from the you know the stands to scoring a goal. And we've not seen him even on the bench this season. So I think that's that's one there, clearly. You know, they've struggled for goals. He's someone that's, you know, for example, scored a goal for them. You know, yeah, maybe bring him off the bench. Yeah, give him a chance. You know, Jake Nojowski's not on there. Max Bissetto. Yeah, they've got a lot of promising young attacking players in their ranks. So, yeah, why not give them a chance? You know, some of the other players in their position right now aren't getting the goals. So, yeah, maybe, you know, giving them, you know, a couple runs off the bench and even a start or two here and there, you know, like their bottom, you know, it can't get much worse than what it is right now. So why not just, you know, give a young guy a chance? Yeah, I think that's what this, you know, league, you know, especially as it is close at the moment, you know, there's not really much you're, you know, going to be losing here. So why not give a young player a chance? Maybe they come good and you can sell them on. You know, I feel like that's something that, um, I'm sure I think of Tonus has talked about him a trillion times. Um, and, and I'll, I'll sort of, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll say, yeah, I totally agree. And I think this is a great case of that. No, 100% think you guys are hitting some very, very good points there. And when you've got senior players underperforming, like Rikud Danzaki, Jacob Chad, I think even Stu, uh, Stephen Lustiger to a certain extent, there's, there's senior players there that do leave a lot more to be desired. And if those young guys can come in, make an impact, you never know, maybe the season might not be a write-off, but... It might just be the personnel that needs a bit of changing to get back into them. So your point still stands there, Caden. They've got nothing to lose from playing these young players. Worst comes to worst, they keep losing. They stay where they are. You don't get much further than coming last year. And it's a competition with no relegation as well. So what's the worst, really? That can happen. I'll have a chat about Newcastle because, like I said before, they've kept three clean sheets so far, two against Western United. Those three clean sheets have actually come in their only three wins this season. So nice little correlation there. But like I said, when I first started talking about this game, they're a side that maybe just lacks consistency, but when they're playing well, they look like a very, very good side. I'll throw to you, Caden, first. What have you kind of made of Newcastle this season? What do you make of them in this game? Yeah, Newcastle always an interesting team in the A-League each season because they just... Obviously, with their off-the-field situation, with their lack of ownership, it just really 
help doesn't let them build like a solid base of 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 a like a literal club at the moment. So it's always hard for them to kind of build year over year. Um but they've got a few like good players in their squad like um Costa Grosos is a player I really like. Clayton Taylor is a young Newcastle-based player who's been starting relatively consistently this season. Um, and then even players like Mark Natter, who's still a young centre-back, who look, he's not the best centre-back in the league by any means, but he's 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 right. He does, he's not he's not the worst either. So yeah, they're an interesting one. And then we also got to remember. Ari uh, Apostolos Stamatolopoulos, who got sent off in this game, he scored seven. He scored seven goals this season. So I mean, there's a lot of positives in there for for Newcastle. They just really need to get their off the pitch stuff sorted so they can start building off of these positive uh, aspects of the club. It's probably hard to talk about or hard to expect consistency from a club that does have. I guess no owners, basically. They're still... We're hearing updates almost every month that it deals very close, but nothing seems to eventuate. Nothing's actually getting over the line. Nothing's even at a point where it can be announced. So it's... Look, if I was a Newcastle fan, I'd be frustrated in that regard. But I think one thing that... One aspect of the club that does need to be given props is the appointment of Rob Stan, because as much as you have those off-field issues affecting them, even the games at Newcastle probably don't look like they're at their best there's still a clear identity that um, Stanton's been able to implement in a resource-strapped club, which is a very, very difficult thing to do. For his first senior role, he's taken on a tough job, and I guess the best compliment you can give him is that he's making the most of it. Um, Jake, I'm going to ask you about a certain player that is probably one of the most frustrating in the league, let's be honest, and that is Trent Bahaja, someone that seems like he has all the tools he needs basically to be one of the best strikers in the A-League. Fast as bloody anything. Always lacking that finishing touch though. Got a brace this weekend, but which, look, some people may say it's a surprise, but the way that Stan plays, it almost, does it feel like it suits Bahaj's style a little bit? And what do you make of his impact on the weekend? God, Jack is going to be fuming so much. There's a whole segment <laughs> about Trent Bahaj is not on. But you know what? I'll try to do my best for him. Um, look, Trent Bahaj is... He is a truly like unbelievable player in the sense that, like he like okay, he's got great speed. He's unbelievable in the really sense he runs. can't believe some of the things he does. <laughs> that too, I guess. Yes, but he he has a lot of really really good tools to make a great player. Like I think, yeah, he's a good athlete. Uh, I think he makes some good runs. He he yeah, he he's just quick to react to situations. But yeah, the issue is straight up, he just doesn't have any confidence in front of goal. And even that, he even scored two goals. Like. One of them was a header, and the other one, I'm, I'm trying to recall sort of how he scored it again. I think it was, it was oh, I, just, I, like, I remember there was a one-on-one, and completely just him and the goalkeeper, and he straight up just stops, and no, no, that wasn't when he, that wasn't when he scored. He went one-on-one, he almost stopped himself, he looked for a pass, he was like, okay, I can't really find a pass, I guess I'm just going to shoot, and it went in. So I guess that shows, maybe he just does need a bit of belief, because he looks so hesitant going in front of goal. And I'm sure he hears of sort of a lot of the, not so the abuse online, but sort of the criticism. And maybe that sort of does play a part because he gets in that position so many times. I think I was looking at some stats before. I, I believe he is tied at the uh, the top in terms of big chances missed this season. So I think that shows. And he's even scored a couple of goals. So 
he gets in those great situations and I think he's even shown you know, a good level of you know, creativity as well. But yeah, I think it is really just adding confidence simply enough because I think he has occasionally shown a decent, you know, striking, ball striking ability. So I think it's just, yeah, being confident in front of God, being like, you know what, I can score this chance, you know, like not you know, being a bit selfish sometimes in a way. So yeah, I like Trent now is 26. So he's not necessarily a young player anymore. He's getting to that point. 25, sorry, but yeah, he's sort of at that point now uh, where he's not necessarily a young player anymore and he needs to, yeah, take that step up as a more senior player, have a bit more confidence to his game. And, you know, who knows, maybe this type of game can be a turning point because even, you know, when he's not, you know, probably at his most confident, he still scored, scored two goals, so he can get goals. Let's um, take his total to three this season. He's got three assists as well. Newcastle, despite the fact that they had less than a third of the ball, Got a lot of chances, not just um, shots away. They got a significant more amount of shots than what um, Western were able to get out of this game. They got a lot of chances in the box too. So if Bahaj is the type of player that he can get in these positions, can have an impact on a game, if he is able to increase his output and he can use a game like this to really build confidence from, you never know where he can get as a footballer. The only qualm that I'd probably have with him is we've seen him in these positions before where he has a really, really good game and then dies off for the next 10. So he probably does need to work on that consistency a little bit, but it's up to Stan if he's able to get the best out of him. I think you see glimpses of Bahaj's ability, even when he's not at, at his best. You can see, yeah, you, you can see what goes through his head. You can see him; he's smart enough to get into these positions, like you said, Jake. It's just a matter of having the confidence to be able to go on, finish your dinner, and you do that on a consistent manner. Because once he does that, it's a scary proposition for the rest of the league, I guess. Uh, Melbourne victory, Adelaide, probably the headline fixture of the weekend, the original rivalry. It's a massive game. Victory came out of this looking very, very good. Now, you two had conflicting points about this leading into this conversation. Uh, I believe it was you, Caden, who said victory would be fine without Fornaroli. And Jake, you said that question question still hangs over the club's head. Jake, I'm going to start with you, why you think victory aren't so fine about without Fornaroli. And what did you guess make of them from this game and why this game shows that they do rely still heavily on Fornaroli. I think with Bruno, it's not a factor of they don't have quality players to come into his role. I think that Bruno is simply a striker that makes everyone around him better. Um, the probably likely alternative we are going to see is Zinedine Mashash, who is an unbelievable player, scored another goal. He is unbelievable, by the way. Um, we're probably going to see him move into that striking role like that Bruno takes up. However, obviously, again, we're going to have to see, you know, um, this is just a prediction. I don't see the attack running so efficiently. I think Zinni Mashash as a player isn't, um, he, he plays well off a striker that can hold up the ball and, you know, distribute the ball, you know, like like Bruno Fornaroli does, you know, probably the best in the league. Um, you know, Zinedine is going to, don't, I don't really see how he's going to get as many chances. I guess we showed, we saw glimpses, for example, Nishan Valupale, when he's on it, he can be unbelievable. You know, we saw, you know, he create that chance for Zindi Mashash. So, Victory do have the pieces. However, I just do wonder how they are going to be able to progress the ball consistently, hold it up with someone like Bruno Fornaroli, and simply create chances. Because Victory, even with Bruno Fornaroli, they have, you know, struggled to create constant chances and score goals. So, look, yeah, we, we saw glimpses that maybe they can deal without Bruno Fornaroli, but we saw, you know, 90 minutes he played today. Oh, sorry, the other day, and it was so key in the way they played. So I'm very interested to see. But 
I, I think it's still victory are showing a lot of good signs as a team. And yeah, when they have Bruno back, I'm sure, yeah, that they can really be a team that's going to ultimately, you know, contend for the title. I, I don't see why not. You know, still yet to lose a game, you know, unbelievably. You know, that's the, they're the only team at the moment to do that. So fair play to them. Don't say a title contenders in front of Christian because he will roast you and you'll have a 30-minute argument. Um, although, to be fair, if you're undefeated, I think you've got to be, at the very least, in that conversation. I think that's the tough thing with lo- losing Fauna Rowling. You did see a little bit in this game. He's a focal point for this side, but he's also a very unique striker in the sense there's not many that can combine their work rate with a great understanding of what's going on around around his position and be able to pull so many different quality players into a game. You've got that kind of attacking midfield line, that uh, kind of midfield, I don't want to say midfield three, like that attacking midfield three, basically, that they started with. You had Mashash, Valupale, and Arzani. You're talking about three players that are very direct the way they play, a little bit of pace on them, and then Mashash is someone that obviously can add strength to it. But three players that probably do rely a bit more on, on their pace and their dribbling ability as much as their hold-up play, which is what Fornaroldi kind of um, relies on himself. When he goes, I don't know if there's anyone there to fill that gap per se. In saying that, you could put Mashash there. I feel like Mashash could do that role, but then who replaces what he can do in their midfield? Caden, you're the one that said that victory will be fine without Fornaroldi. Who do you see kind of filling that gap, and how do you see Melbourne victory system working moving forward, at least for the next three weeks? So, yeah, well, I... What I think will happen is, I agree with Jake, that Machach will play in Bruno's spot. But I think we're all forgetting about Jake Brimmer, who's been coming off the bench for a victory in recent weeks because of Machach taking his natural position as a 10. So he's been playing a lot deeper when he comes off the bench, usually re- replacing either Fabian Monge or, or um, Ryan Teague. But I think having... Having him on the pitch, he's great at creating chances. He's great on dead ball situations. I think that he'll him and uh, Zinedine will be able to link up really well. And we also remember have to remember that Daniel Arzani is in one has created twenty one chances this season as well. So I think his his passing and chance creation is a little bit underrated by by fans of his. Um, he's not all just pace and getting in behind. He can create, and that's something that he definitely has been trying to work on his game doing. So, and then also Volupale, we're seeing him create that great goal for for uh, Bruno late on. Um, so yeah, I think there's they have more than enough midfield creativity to get do themselves. They might not stay undefeated while Bruno's gone, but I think they they're not going to be have a calamitous month when he's not there. They're going to, I think they'll manage to stay within the top three positions. Um, so, yeah. It's an interesting few games moving forward for victory as well, because they've got two of the hardest away trips in the league, Perth and Wellington Phoenix. In the middle of that, they've got Unite round. They don't play at home again until Australia, their Australia Day Big Blue with Sydney FC. So, in this period where I guess they do kind of have to reshuffle things, it is also going to be a tough period to manage. Do you see it, Kate? And I'll go back to you with this as well. This system, you've, you you see an idea or a way forward for victory to kind of manage the absence of Bruno Fornaroli. Even if you think they'll be all right, do you still see some form of teething issues? Potentially, but I really, I mean, like, like you said, next game we've got Perth. 
a team that have been struggling, um, I think they should be able to handle that. Or even even though they are away, they should be able to handle Perth comfortably, I feel. And Central Coast, that'll be their toughest game of the three, I reckon. They, they're starting to play some real good football. And Wellington, we saw that after they struggled against Sydney's high press, I think Melbourne will look to do the same. They're a team that are good off Melbourne are a team that are good off the ball and they do rely on pressing and hitting teams on the counter a lot. So I think there's definitely a potential to pick up at least six points in this um three game run. And then Big Blue on Australia Day. I'm not sure if Bruno is back for that one or not. Depends how far Australia go, I guess. Yeah, true. So depending yeah, that, I reckon out of the next four, they should be picking up six points, I reckon, which should be enough to keep them within top two, in the top two, I think. Even if it doesn't keep them in the top two, the way the league's been moving this season, you could imagine even if they lose two games or something, they're still close enough that once Bruno's back, they can kind of work their way back into things. It is such a tight comp. I, can't, I don't think I can emphasize that point enough. It's been It's great to watch from a neutral point of view, so... You can only love it, I guess. Adelaide, on the other hand, struggling a little bit. We're seeing it. It's been, I think, four losses now in five games. They did sub off. And this is the point I want to go to you, Jack, because I know you do have very good knowledge of young players and understanding of what they can bring to a team. It was John Dior that got subbed off at 46 minutes. He's had a different role since Carver's trying to change things up, moving to a bit of a 4-4-2. We've seen Yule kind of shift into a bit of a wider area. Losing a player like that at a moment like that in a football match like that, there was obviously a clear negative impact on Adelaide's game, wasn't there? Yeah, well, I, I think the player that replaced him, Luke Dizel, he's a player I'm I'm big on. I, I think he's a really good player. But again, with Carl Viet sort of trying to play this new sort of box midfield or attack sort of system, I, I don't necessarily know if... A lot of the personnel sort of fit that. Even Johnny Yule, for example, I, I think he's someone that looked much more comfortable playing more, a little bit more deep sort of as a, yeah, in the link-up play. Whereas now he's sort of, yeah, playing that sort of wide attacking midfield role, which I, I just don't think probably suits his game as much. And same with Luke Dazell. I think they're players that probably play a little bit better deeper. And they've got a lot of those type of midfielders in their team. They don't really have um, a real out-and-out attacking midfielder apart from Ethan Aligic. And then, you know, this has sort of inherently sort of meant the likes of Ben Halloran and Nestoria and Kunda have sort of dropped to the bench now because, yeah, like like Calviot wants to play this different system with, yeah, the sort of the more advanced midfielders. Um, so, again, I, I think they showed some good signs uh, with that against Newcastle. I thought they put in a decent performance. But against Victory, I, I, I didn't think they played awfully well. Um, you know, in, in the last game we saw, they struggled in the first half. They really, really picked up in the second half and really gave it to victory. This game, I think they were really flat the whole game and just didn't really offer anything and, you know, let victory ultimately just kind of run over them. Um, so I, I'm just really interested to see if Carl sort of persists with this new system because I, I don't mind it. I think that's, you know, you know, in football right now, that's sort of the popping thing. Everyone's doing that now, the sort of the box uh, midfield. However, I don't know if Adelaide sort of have that, um, I guess, sort of personnel. And, you know, when you have the likes of Nestor, Uren Kunda, Ben Halloran, some players have been pretty important for Adelaide this season, sort of on the bench because of this, you know, is it necessarily worth it? So, 
yeah, I, um, yeah, I, I guess I'll sort of say uh, I I understand sort of your know, Carl wanting to do this, but yeah, and hopefully as well, Johnny, you're is all good because that 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 guy is very very talented. So let's hope it's you know not a serious sort of you know, head knock. I'd say hopefully he's back soon. In reality, you'd rather him take the time to make sure he recovers properly. So hopefully he's back when he's genuinely healthy and ready to go again, whenever that might be. If it means he's got to miss a few games for Adelaide, so be it. Um, can, I say, can I say a quick oh, yeah, sure, Adelaide? So I spoke, I asked Kyle about the box midfield. Um, he said that he's playing this system because he hasn't been happy with both Mysteries and Ben Halloran's um, output. So, and that he's got a lot of midfielders in his squad. So he's trying to balance the use, trying to get all those midfielders enough game time. And also he, yeah, like I said, he felt that his wingers haven't been good enough this season and says he need, they need to have some time coming off the bench because of that. So that's the main reason why he's changed to this system. So whether he wants to play this way, in the future, he said he's not kind of not sure yet, but yeah, he's just he basically just gave an answer about how a, there's twenty three players in the squad or whatever, and they they all need to step up and fulfil their role. So it kind of remains to be seen how that system's going to turn out for the rest of the year. It's a really interesting That's point. It's a really interesting point actually because he's changed the system to kind of point out the fact that there's a couple of players underperforming, but the reality is if they come in and perform again, which is going to be harder because they're going to be playing in positions there or in styles they're not necessarily used to, if they can, then can work their way back in the starting excited as he refer back to the old system or as he persists with what he's working with now. It's going to be a really interesting point for Adelaide moving forward, I guess. But we'll move on to Mariners in Perth. Fireworks off the pitch and on it, I guess. There was... um. Bit of a flashpoint towards the end of the game. Perth Glory severely disciplined during this game. I'll be honest, Jake, oh, not Jake, Caden, I know you would have seen a fair bit of this. Jake, I'm not sure how much of you saw of it. Unfortunately, I couldn't catch much of this game, so I'm going to need you guys to help me fill some gaps in here. I did catch the first half at the very least. But, Jake, you're the one that did point out the fact that Mariners are on this really, really cool turnaround. Four losses to start the season. They're now in the top six. Not sure how many people would have foreseen that, especially with the way they were starting, if they had the quality to be able to have a turnaround of that significance. But Jackson does look like he's cooking something. You've kind of asked how legit they are. I'm going to kind of answer your question and throw it back to you. I kind of think they are, not necessarily as a definite in the top six, but definitely as a team in the fight for it. Yeah, well, I I, I think... Um, I asked him a question. I, I think they played City. It was, and that was sort of maybe the start of their run. And I, yeah, sort of asked him, yeah, some questions. Especially, I think it was about Is that the, the three-all result. They're playing. Yes, the three-all, yeah. three-all, because they showed a lot of really, really promising signs. Even though there was unlucky, probably not to get the three points, uh, they showed a lot of good signs. And yeah, he, I, I think the way he talked about the way he likes to change their system throughout a game, and you know, like he sort of projected, sort of. The form we've sort of started seeing now with Angel Torres, I'm like, okay, you know, I, I really like sort of what I'm starting to see here, and it's continued. Um, yeah, they're in some really, really good form. They've pushed their way all the way into the uh, top six now, which is you know really commendable considering the start of their season. And yeah, I, I think they've got a you know, solid run of games to come as well. Um, it's a real shame they've lost Marco Tulio, but to be fair, that was 
a perfect way, uh, you know, to send him off when he sort of had his, I think he had his jersey, um, like, what was it, on the on the corner flag, I think it was, in front of the fans. That was unbelievable. So that was really cool to see. But, yeah, it's going to be, I think, over one more game, um, and then he's gone, which is going to be a big loss for them. But uh, to be fair, I think Mark Jackson has shown, um, oh, you know, adaptability, um, you know, adjusting to the scenarios. And, yeah, it'll be interesting to see, yeah, like, ultimately how far this team can go. You know, can they somehow replicate what they did last season, you know, potentially contending for finals? Or, you know, will they be a team, you know, sort of contending, you know, for a final spot? Who knows? But they're in extremely good form right now. But, yeah, I, I think that sort of, you know, Marco Tullio leaving could be a really, really big sort of roadblock to their progress because that's a very key player, you know, probably up there with um, Josh Nisbet as their most important player, you know. So that's a... It, it, it's not a simple thing you can just you know, move past. So that's going to take a lot of adjusting. I'll get to Tulio in a minute, but Jake, I want to talk to you about this particular player that you just mentioned, Josh is, but I feel like we talk about him every week at this point because he's genuinely a fantastic player, but I'll speak more from Mark Jackson's point of view because he's the one that's seen Nisbet's ability to kind of push into an advanced role as more of a 10 and Look, Nisbet's kind of taken his game to another level. I don't think you can disagree with that fact. But as someone in Mark Jackson who maybe because of his start, there were a few questions around it. Do you think just that kind of shift in one player, or not just one player, obviously the team has in the last few weeks really gone on this nice little rise, but making a decision like that and seeing the ability of someone who maybe someone, other player, other coaches take a look at and overlook because of their stature, you think his ability to kind of look at a player like Nisbet and go, okay, you've made this name for yourself as a real workhorse, but I'm going to turn you into a very, very good 10. Does that sh- show anything to you about Jackson's ability as a coach? That's just ec- excellent talent identification, you know, sort of looking at this team and being like, okay, we need to make these adjustments. I think the the key one I've sort of noticed and I've really, really liked is we saw Angel Torres the first couple of weeks sort of on that right wing as a yeah, cutting inside. And he was he showed promise, but yeah, it wasn't necessarily working. So he's sort of changed it. He's moved him over to the left side and he's ultimately sort of playing as a left wing back at times. And Stormbrew on the other side has sort of pushed into him uh, up up sort of alongside him. And I, I think that's been a great uh, adjustment. You know, we've seen Jacob Farrell sort of in behind him as a left-sided centre-back in times as well. And it's just, it, it's, I think it shows a really, really good coach to identify those. He sort of had a couple of weeks to look at his team, get used to his team. You know, we saw, you know, for example, Will Wilson used on the wing, which I, I don't think was a good decision. But, you know, we've seen him, you know, he's been able to sort of notify that. Okay, that's probably not the move. And he's made the other adjustments as a great. And then the key one in Josh and Isabel as a number 10, what a move. Like, I think we've sort of seen him play that, you know, somewhat that role before um, in the way that the Mariners like to press. You know, sometimes we saw Ballard sort of drop a little bit deeper, Nisbet move forward. But now Nisbet is solely the number 10, obviously, because they have the two defensive midfielders behind him. And I think it just gives him, yeah, it allows him to use especially his ball progression. I think that's something that's extremely good. He's driving runs. He's just so... He's so nimble. Yeah, he just you just can't get like get the ball off him. He's very, very good at that. And he's pressing from the front too. It's yeah, it's been a really, really good move. And ultimately I think he said it after the uh the the city game too. The one thing that's missing from Josh Nisbet's game is just that end product, that goal. Because I think we've only seen him, you know, he's played probably about over a hundred games now. I think he's only scored like one or two goals. So I think that's something that 
we just need to see added. And once we have that, then I think you really have someone that can, especially with Australia as a whole right now, maybe lacking some you know, number 10s attacking midfielders. That really could be somewhere where he could push in. Who knows? Because they have a lot of defensive midfielders, but they don't really have that sort of well-rounded attacking midfielder. And especially sort of someone of his size, I don't think he'll be seen as much as a sort of ball-winning midfielder. You know, I think inherently people are just going to say, you're too small to play that role. However, as a number 10, you know, I don't think there's sort of that stigma around, you know, those type of plays as much. So, yeah, I'm I'm very excited to sort of see how he progressed in this role because I think he could suit it really well. Okay, and I'll throw this to you. We mentioned Michael Tullio before. His departure is going to leave a hole in this Mariners side. Would you, if you're in Mark Jackson's position, look externally to try and bring someone in to replace what he brings to a side in terms of not just his flair and ability, but his output as well, goals, assists, really is an integral part of this Mariners team. Or there's players like Christian Theoharis, uh Miguel De Pizio. There's There could be capable players in there as well that can kind of fill that gap. Do you trust those young players as maybe Mariners tend to do? Or do you maybe look externally because of how significant a loss to Lille can be? Well, yeah, I'm not sure. I think in a perfect world, they would want to look externally. But I just don't think they have the finances for that, um, especially to find someone as good as Tulio. That to find him, in like, I think it was like the Brazilian third division, it was like a piece of scouting brilliance from Nick Montgomery. Um, and I just think they won't have the money to bring someone in, so they probably will have to look for look within. Um, Miguel Debizio is shown a lot of promise so far. Uh, even in maybe like Jing Reek, he's not the same type of player, but they've got him. They've got him as well. Um, but yeah, Christian Theoharis, um, I think is one. He's twenty four now. He's kind of reaching an age, like we said earlier about Trent Bahadra, where he needs to kind of start being an experienced veteran, start showing off a bit more of what he's capable of. So maybe this might be his time to kind of step up for Mariners and fulfill, overtake Marco Tullio's, Marco Tullio, Marco Tullio's role. Um, but yeah, it's a massive loss for Mariners and they're going to, it's going to take a lot of effort for Mark Jackson to try and figure out how they can get goals without him. And, and just to quickly support your point, Caden, uh, I think Thea Harris was just given a contract extension too. So I think that could potentially be that, yeah, you know, th- this is your time to shine. So I think it could be him. Yeah, it'd be, Sorry, it'd be a true Mariners fashion to go, all right, we've lost this really, really good player, but we've got Thea Harris. He's shown a bit of promise. We're going to give him a two-year contract, let him go and ball out from the get-go, make a real name for ourselves, and then I go sell him for a fee as well. It's this real rotation policy and then not rotation policies, um, system, I guess you could call it. And then once he goes, maybe Depizio's the next in line, and then by the time even Depizio's even ready to come into that spot, the next person's already been identified. Mariners are probably the best club in the league in terms of succession planning, and that's why I never really predicted a massive drop-off for them even when they lost a whole lot of players and then Nick Montgomery because there's always a plan in place to make sure that, okay, once we lose someone, the next person's going to come in line or... We know exactly who we want to fill this position. If we lose someone, we've got to lose externally. And then on top of that, there is 
whoever's doing the scouting at the Mariners, their talent identification of visa players is very, very good. Even Angel Torres, someone who maybe we had doubts about during the season. I even said, no matter his age, from a visa player, I want to see high-quality output. I think we are starting to see that from him. He's had a few good games in a row. As much as he didn't have a goal and assist this game, there, there was still quality on the pitch. It didn't look like he was anonymous or anything, or as bad as maybe he was in previous games. We'll talk about Perth and Caden. I'll start with you this time. It uh, things just can't be seen. To, things just aren't really clicking for them at the moment. It's hard to really pinpoint an exact spot that they or exact the exact issue that kind of needs to be fixed. I think one thing that I've seen thrown around is maybe they could do with a new ball-winning midfielder. But Caden, where where do you think? things really need to be adjusted for Perth if they're going to turn their season around because with Western, they're probably the other team that's starting to fall um, a bit behind the chasing pack too. Yeah, Perth, like you said, Perth is an interesting one and I'm not even too sure what they need to do. I think they've got Adam Taggart up front who's been doing well. He's been getting into a good form recently. Um, he's been doing well. They've got players, I think perhaps their back line, their back four is kind of maybe a bit questionable players like Alexander Shushnar and Mark Beavers, who's 34 now, I think. Maybe they need to start looking at players in their defence. Um, but, yeah, they've got a, good, a lot of good young prospects as well, like Giordano Colley, who are definitely Kolokovsky. Um, he scored a brilliant goal last night. Um, Travello on the outside of his right foot, but he's kind of been struggling since he left Melbourne City. Um, yeah, I'm really not sure about Perth. They just kind of are a team with, it seems like they've kind of got no clear direction of what they want to do and what kind of club they want to be. And I think we all thought when um, um, Stanjic brought in that that was the start of something to be turned around, but just doesn't seem to have happened yet. Um, so, yeah, I'm not really sure what we're going to do about Perth. I think one thing people forget with Stajic, that first season he had with the Mariners, he still finished with the wooden spoon. It's come into a Perth side, as much as he's been able to make his own changes and bring in some of his own players, he still came in very late. It wasn't until after the World Cup that his transfer was announced, or at the very least, he went through the group stage with the Philippines before that was any, anything was finalised. There's not a lot of time between when that happened and when the league started that he could really go in and implement a style and make sure the players that were already there existing were able to adapt to what he kind of wants to do. I think if I look at, look at it from a quality perspective, their backline, like you said, Caden, probably is the one that leaves a bit more to be desired. I do like the fact they've brought Muir in. Uh, Latchman probably hasn't been at his best that we've seen him in previous years. He's been dropped to the bench. With Beavers suspended now, you never know. That might open up an opportunity for another young centre-back to come through. I wouldn't mind seeing a bit more of Trent Osler. I think if there's like another criticism I can make their full-backs, as much as individually they are quality players, Johnny Kutrumbus, Alex Zinia, I don't know if they're the types that are going to offer a lot more more in an attacking sense. They do seem very, very defensive, and the reality is it's not something that's working at the moment either. So... It's maybe there may be something there, something that could be fixed or something that could be reworked slightly. It may not even be a thing of looking externally when you've got a player like Trent Osler. I know Joseph Ford, I don't know what the situation around him is, if he's injured or carrying something. Um, the reality is you've got players there that can 
come in and perform a role. Even Jared Kaluchio can play fullback if you really need him to. There's the options there. They've got the, you've got the building blocks of a side that can be, at the very least, decent in this league. It's just a matter of putting it together in the right way and in the way that Stasic obviously wants to do. We'll go on to the biggest kind of talking point from this game, the how it finished. Beaver sent off for a second yellow. I believe it was a handball. Susanyar um, gets sent off for descent shortly after. Jake, what was your take on this situation? Because to me, this is a little bit wild. And it, considering Perth were the ones that were on the end of uh, the referee's kind of wrath in this game, that I, I can't even count the amount of cards they ended up getting while Mariners kind of sat there with nothing. It's it, on paper, it looks a bit bad, but what do you make of the whole situation? Yeah, I, th- I thought it was interesting. Uh, it's I no doubt thought it was a penalty. Uh, I think uh, you know no one's probably really debating that. However, yeah, I, I thought giving him a yellow, a second yellow card for that ultimately was a bit interesting. Maybe it had something to do with the fact that it was his second handball penalty he gave away. Maybe the referees interpreted the fact that you know this is a you know, something he's done before now. Um, you know, is it something he's purposely doing? However, yeah, I still thought it was an interesting decision as it didn't necessarily look deliberate or anything like that. It looked like simply his hand was just there, hit it, you just give him a penalty for it. But you know, the referee decided to give a second yellow for that, ultimately sent him off, and that you know that's probably what has sparked you know Susanajar, you know, to sort of get angry, say something to the ref, get sent off. So it just seemed like, yeah, obviously one of those doesn't happen, the other doesn't happen, you know, and both ultimately happen together. So now, yeah, ultimately Perth are in a interesting situation because you know that's two out of your four defenders out for the next week. Um, but again, this could produce you know produce a good you know chance for some younger player to come in. Trent Osler, we've seen filling at left back, for example, that could be a chance for him. Uh, at centre back, for example, uh, Kalen Magic Donmi. Um, I don't think we've seen him in the A League this season so far, but he's someone that was involved in preseason. He looks like a talented young player. I think he's played with the. Aussie under twenties before, so he's clearly you know highly touted. So maybe the chance for him to push in, who knows? But yeah, I think it'll, it's a Perth are in a really interesting situation. Obviously, Kate touched on many, but I think the one thing I'll sort of put in quickly is um, you know Stajic has a, you know really loved that four four two system. However, we have probably seen some problems with it. I think a lot of people are you know maybe suggesting another midfielder. You know, I think I've seen. Hashtag free Luke Bodnar, you know, uh, pop around places. You know, he we, he's someone that's I'm you know quite big on. I think he's a good ball winning midfielder who has not. I think he's appeared on the bench once this season. Um, so that's you know, a clear one there. Yeah, maybe you you know, drop one of the attackers, bring another midfielder in there. You know, create a bit more stability in there. But obviously Stajic, you know, he probably wants to implement his system and he probably believes in the four four two, and we've seen it work before. So. Maybe it is a thing of simply, yeah, just give him some time. Yeah, I don't look. Stash is a coach that is quite set in his ways. I'm not sure how much he's going to change in terms of his system, but Luke Bodner's continual absence is something that is a little bit baffling. And in terms of the red cards, the decisions around that, I don't know how much you can really read into it. It was a penalty. You got a second yellow. I'm not going to sit here and say it's a conspiracy or anything personally, but we'll move on. Final game of the round. Western City Wanderers, MacArthur Wanderers, a little bit of a routine win, I guess, despite the fact that MacArthur have been fairly decent this season. But um, in terms of MacArthur, they have had quite a packed schedule so far this season. Obviously playing the AFC Cup, you're traveling to countries that, you know, as much as maybe it's on the same distance as a club like City had to travel 
it's countries that aren't exactly always straightforward to get to, you know, going to places like Cambodia, Thailand, you'll probably go take a few flights to get there. Um, Myanmar as well at one stage, it's a little bit, been a little bit nuts for them this season, but they, for the most part, they were managing it quite well. Since that's kind of finished though, they have, I guess they've had a few games pile up. This has probably been the biggest break they've had between their last game and the one they played today at the time of recording. Uh, seven day break. It's been a while since they've had that. Now moving forward, they play on Friday. They play on the following Monday. They play on the Friday again in Unite Round. And then Thursday, the, fo- the following Thursday after. So these next four games are coming quite fast. And considering even between now and that first game, that four game period, it's not exactly a long break. They play on Friday. Like it's not an easy turnaround for them. They haven't really had any reprieve despite the fact that the AFC Cup is a little bit past now and they do have a while before they do need to play the semi-final in that. Caden, I'll go to you first. Is that is this where you see the problems with MacArthur, the fact that maybe the travel load is catching up on him a little bit? Or are you noticing something with the football that's probably a bit of an issue? Yeah, I think I think it's more going to be the travel. I think they definitely do look a bit lethargic and... um. And I think that's exemplified by the one goal they scored was just a bit of an individual piece of like brilliance from Jake Holman just to take a, take a hit from like 25 yards out um, and just luckily it just went top bins perfectly. Um, other than that, they didn't actually really create anything in that game. Um, yeah, they definitely do look run down. Um, and, but also like Players like Davia, I think, have been not as great this season in the A League. He's been being better in the um, AFC Cup, but he's only got three goals and two assists. So, I mean, it's not terrible, but I think he's not what he was like when he was at Wellington Phoenix. But um, yeah, I think it's definitely just a case of being run down. But also, Western Sydney, I thought, played really well today as well, which is more, I think. Do the reason for the result, I think, rather than more anything to do with MacArthur. The reality is this Western Sydney side, personally, I think they're up there with one of the best teams in the league. I actually do think they've got the potential to go on and, you know, be a contender to go and win the whole tournament, whether it be coming first or the grand final. I think they've got potential to get a trophy this season. Christian won't be happy when he hears this back. The reality is this is a very good Western Sydney Wanderers side, I wouldn't be surprised if, if people kind of view this as almost like a routine win, kind of like what I said before. It's Wanderers at home. They've gone out. They've played well. They've dominated, not necessarily in terms of possession, but in terms of attacking output. Gotten goals on either side of half time. They've, they do look very, very good for um, everything concerned. Jake, I'm going to throw another young player at you that I'm sure, I think you've even mentioned his name already on this podcast. Nick Milanovic, someone that, in years gone past, I think coaches have kind of brushed him off because he is a little bit thin, a little bit brittle. But this guy's quality is absolutely fantastic. Are you surprised at all that this is kind of the first experience he's had in the A-League where he's a genuine starting player for an A-League side? Because the guy's crazy. Yeah, to be fair, I feel like I've been quite big for a while. I remember last season with Western United, he was one of the few bright sparks I thought I had from that team until he left. 
Um, yeah, I think he even got like one start that season. James Treacy was consistently starting ahead of him, even though he was consistently, you know, scoring goals, getting assists off the bench. It was just like, why are we not? It was really baffling. And then, you know, sort of he joined uh, midway through last season with Welling, uh, sorry, Western, Western Sydney. Um, took a bit of time to sort of bite his way into the team, get used to them. And this season, he's consistently started and been phenomenal. And I think with him, it's he's such an interesting player. He, um, he's, I was like, you mentioned very tall and lean, but the, what he really excels at, I think, is some of his dribbling, chance creation, and he has that Thomas Muller sort of thing to his game where he's simply just good at picking up pockets of space. Like, I think they call it a Raumdeuter. I, I don't, I'm, I'm not German, so I'm not too sure, but that's sort of the. That's a, oh, no, that's for a football thing. manager. That's literally it. The, the, I think it's called Space Invader. I think that's the, the translation where he's just very good at picking up pockets of space in attack. And it's something very unique. You don't really see that in young wingers, but he has that. I think he has a lot to his game. He, I actually say he's quite underrated with his strength. He looks very skinny and lean, but I think he's very strong in terms of the way he uses his body. Some players just sort of have that to their game. And I think, yeah, he has a lot. He created two of the goals that ultimately, you know, really killed off MacArthur in this game. You know, those two sort of bang, bang, and, you know, you're kind of out of it. You know, this is a strong, you know, Western Sydney team that consistently, you know, I think it was really interesting to see that um, MacArthur had more possession for this game. So Western Sydney sort of made that decision. You know, MacArthur has been a good team on the counter. Look, you know, we're going to let you have the, the ball a little bit more today, you know, because they have struggled, um, MacArthur, to really create chances against teams that aren't on, you know, on the counter-attack. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I think fair play to Marco Rodano. I thought he coached the game well, and they got a you know, very solid result against the team that, yeah, it's been pretty good this season, MacArthur. You know, but like I was, you know, a bit maybe hesitant when you called them a uh, title contender. I, I, I was, I'm still a bit... I've you know what, I've got to make an admission for that. I kind of said that as just a general comment, just to kind of exasperate... Valet Germain's impact this season. I didn't fully believe it when I said it. Then Christian started firing back at me and I felt like I needed to get my back up. But in that moment, I think it, you, it would have been hard to argue unless you're looking at it from Christian's point of view of it's too early. And I don't think right now they're out of any sort of top four, top two contention. They still look quite good. I think it's just a matter of how they manage this period going forward. The reality is, even Caden, you said as well, it's not necessarily an issue with the football right now. It's just an issue with fitness, load management. Maybe they look for one or two players just to kind of manage this period as well going into this season. It's going to be a little bit harder as well now that Matt Miller's injured. I'm not sure what the time frame is before he's back. Um, uh, What do you call it? Miller Sajowski did say it was just an injury that occurred yesterday in training. So I think he's not even sure what the extent of it is, if it's minor or major or what impact it's going to have. They do have Keely Addison coming in once he's available. That'll offer him a little bit of reprieve, someone that is definitely going to be fresh, raring to go, someone that's going to be a little bit exciting to see as well for A-League fans. We haven't seen him in the A-League yet. Being, obviously, he played fantastic in the Cup, but we're still waiting for it to see what he could do at the league level. It's it's definitely going to be an interesting period for MacArthur, and I think it's going to be this period that defines them and shows if they do have the ability to be title contenders because... Christian did say it when we kind of had that debate. It's moments like this that where a team shows their true colours and whether they do have the capability to be able to go that far. So for my own personal reputation and sake, I really hope they prove me right. That's all I'll say on the matter. Um, Caden, I'll throw it back to you just about Wanderers to kind of wrap this up. Jake did say it as well there. Mark Rudin, he does pretty well at managing a football match and he did well managing this game today. 
What did you make of Wanderers' performance considering in terms of what we've seen as a trend from the Wanderers, they do tend to be a team that doesn't have a lot of possession, but will still more often than not outshoot their opponents. But even today, it did look like they were even just that little bit more direct and a little, there was a little bit more emphasis on trying to move the ball quickly moving forward. And especially the first 20 minutes, it probably did catch MacArthur by surprise in a way too. Yeah, definitely. That first 20 minutes was unbelievable from them. They just, they want, they came out wanting it, wanting it more than MacArthur, I think. They, um, to use a football cliche, what they just wanted it more. Um, but yeah, no, they've been playing really well. Not just this game, but all season. I was going to bring up um, Mark Wooden's recruitment this offseason with his foreign players, Marcus Antonson and Jarrett Jarrett Hendricks. They've been unbelievable. And I think if it wasn't for Torgay Arslan, as we were talking about before, would be a lot more people would be talking about Jarrett Hendricks' performances because he's been consistently one of their best players each week. And he was a vital part of their win today with a 93% accurate passing on a total of 70 passes. And he created three chances on his own. So, yeah, they're playing really well. And then, yeah, Nicholas Milanovic, he, I mean, West, uh, yeah, Western United, they for sure could use him right now um, to create some chances. But um, I'm not sure how they, how or why they let him go. I know he said it was more because he wanted to be back home with family, but, I mean, surely they could have figured something out. I mean, like, it's it's like what, a one-hour flight from Melbourne to Sydney. So, but anyway, that's besides the point. But, yeah, um, no, Western Sydney, I think they're going to go far this season and have a deep finals run. Um, and, yeah, they're all around really good side. I'm surprised yeah. Jake didn't mention Aiden Simmons getting a goal. I know he's a big fan of Aiden Simmons as well. So yeah, as so... no, Milanovic um... cross and a Simmons goal. That's um right up Jake's alley, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. And also, I forgot Valentino Yule um came in as a injury replacement signing for um Brandon Barella, and he's hasn't stopped scoring so far. So another great piece of recruitment from Marco. Yeah, I think a lot of people were worried about the turnover from Wanderers because they lost a lot of players that were really, really good from last season. But I'd argue some of the players they've brought in are even better. I think feel like Hendricks is at a stage of his career where he can put out more of an output to what maybe Schneidel and Ken. Uh, Priestman looks like a ready-made replacement for Callum Neuenhoff. I don't know if I'd say that's an improvement of sorts, but it's definitely not a loss that's being affected in any way. Jack Clisby looks like he's performing at a better level than Adama Traore is. And plus, even you can look at someone like Tate Russell coming back into the squad, not necessarily signing, but a player free from an ACL injury, as much as he is in a three-way battle for that right-back spot, which Simmons is coming out on top of. It does add a little bit more depth. And even Antonsen, Leone Leone was a massive hole to fill, and Antonsen's doing it really, really well. So... You do need to give uh, kudos to Marco Rudin for his recruitment this offseason. I think today's probably the perfect example of it. You had Antonson on the score sheet, uh, Yule on the score sheet, Hendricks bossing the midfield. Absolutely nuts. I don't know what more Wanderers fans can ask for, really. That is where we'll end the podcast today. If you are still listening, you are a legend. Thank you guys so much. Anyone that's supporting the podcast, 
if you if you enjoy it, give us a five star rating. If you don't enjoy it, um, why not give us a five star five, uh, five star rating anyway? It'll do us a lot of good. Um, if you did enjoy it as well, be sure to catch our work on the socials, Front PG Football on Twitter, Instagram, and Threads, Front Page Football on Facebook, uh, Front Page Football on TikTok as well, Front Page Football on LinkedIn, and you can check the articles out on the Front Page Football website at frontpagefootball.net. I've been Cody Ojeda. Hopefully you've enjoyed my hosting. I've been joined by Caden Foley, Jake Holub. You guys have anything you want to add before we finish? Oh, thanks for having me. And thank you for having me, Cody. Oh, good, all good. Jake, you enjoy your beach holiday. Caden, you enjoy hopefully recovering from being sick over New Year's. I do feel really bad for you. And all you lovely people listening, you enjoy doing what you enjoy doing in life. We will see you next week.